Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So this reading is uh, it's on the blue sheet there and it's from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, um, starting at the first verse. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Life, And you will find it a great help if you have access to one of these blue service seats where you'll find our reading from John's Gospel. And as we turn to this reading, I want to pray for God's help as we look at his word, that he would help us to understand what he's written for us. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you that they speak of 
your son Jesus. And in a world where there is much confusion about love and a great longing to be loved, we thank you for these words of love about Jesus. Please help us to understand them, we pray. Amen. If you've been listening to some music on the radio or on the internet recently, then you may well have heard um, some words from the band's Coldplay and their latest single, True Love. They should be there on the screen. Um, I won't sing them to you, but this is what they say. So tell me you love me. If you don't, then lie. Oh, lie to me. Just tell me you love me. Now look, um, normally I'm rubbish at uh, sensing the mood and spotting the signs. Uh, My wife will tell you that. Um, But even I can tell that these words are not happy words. Uh, If you know the song, then the the, the backstory of the song is that uh, there's a guy and a girl and they have fallen in love and they had something special for a time. But the girl has just told the guy that she doesn't love him anymore, that it's over. And in response to those words, the the singer sings these words of anguish. Uh, The the whole song is a song of kind of haunting anguish. It is a a cry of pain as he realizes what has happened. He just can't face it. And so he says, oh, lie to me. Just tell me you love me. Isn't that one of our greatest fears in life? To be known by someone, known deeply and profoundly, and then to be rejected by that person. You see, we crave love, we we crave acceptance. And when we are rejected, our world seems to fall apart. When Chris Martin, the lead singer of Coldplay, announced his separation from Gwyneth Paltrow, Uh, Do you remember the words they used to announce their uh, separation? They called it conscious uncoupling to describe their separation. It sounds so amicable, so straightforward, so logical, simple. But I suspect that this song actually describes what was happening behind the scenes. It's a cry of anguish. You see, we all crave love we crave acceptance it's how we're wired isn't it that's how we function to be in a context where we are known and loved I'm not just talking about romantic love although that is important it's true in all areas of life as well imagine some of you guys who are new to Sheffield as first years you're going to meet hundreds of people I guess in the next couple of weeks and it's only natural to long to fit in to be known and to be accepted for who you are, to find new friends, to, to develop a network of people who care for you, look after you, who love you. And not just students, all of us in our offices, in the pub, on the sports pitch, in our families, we long to be known and then loved for who we are. But the reading we've just had from John's Gospel raises an even bigger issue than that for us tonight. The question from John chapter 3 confronts us not with 
what do our uni friends think of us or what do our work colleagues think of us or what does our girlfriend or our husband think of us? No, the question that John 3 confronts us with is this. What does God think of us? Does God know us? Does he love us? There can't be a more important question than that to ask anywhere in life, surely. If there is a God, and John is clear that there is a God, you may want to go along to that course that Paul mentioned, a reason for God to talk more about that, but for John, there is a God, and he's very clear. Then surely if this God is true, then what he thinks of us matters more than anything else in this world. What does God think of us? That is the question I want us to think about tonight. And we find one of the clearest answers in all of Scripture in that final sentence from our reading. John uh, chapter 3, verse 16, right at the end of our reading. John writes this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that... Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved the world. Famous words, well-known words, words that we may see on barn doors and fences on the side of the motorway. But what does John mean when he says that God loved the world? What does it mean for us sitting here tonight? As part of that world, does God know us? Does he love us as part of that world? Well, if we're going to understand God's love, we need to understand, I think, two things from this verse tonight. We need to understand, first, the world that God loves. And the problem, straight away, as we think about the world that God loves, is that the world is not a lovable place. Just a moment's thoughts about what's happened over the summer around the world, and we are struck by how dark the news has been this summer. We've heard reports in Syria and northern Iraq of bloodshed and violence. We've heard about beheadings, innocent victims. We've heard about thousands being displaced from their homes. We've heard about passenger planes being shot down in the Ukraine. We've heard about women and children being kidnapped and held hostage in Africa. And I could go on, but you can see the points. It has been a dark summer across the world. And when John says God loves the world, well, what does, God, what does John mean? How can God love those parts of the world? Well, maybe John means that God loves certain parts of the world, perhaps the good parts, maybe the parts closer to home, maybe the parts around us here in Sheffield. Well, again, it's been a dark year, hasn't it? Think of the reports from Rotherham these last few months. 1,300 girls, was it, caught up in abuse, being raped. Think of the legacy of Jimmy Savile bit further back you see there's evil in the big world out there far from us 
But also there is evil in the world close by, in our local communities and all around us. And when John says that God loved the world, does he love those local communities too? How can God love when these things are taking place? But we need to get more personal still. There may be evil out there in the world. There may even be evil close by in our local communities. But what about us, personally, here tonight? Are we the kind of people that God loves when John says that God loved the world? To answer that question, we need to go back to our reading from John's account of Jesus' life. Uh, The reading begins with an encounter between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. And if you have your reading, do turn back to the second page and look at th- down with me at verse 1, where we meet Nicodemus. John writes, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a, a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now straight away, this man Nicodemus, well, he's one impressive man. Uh, John says he's a Pharisee, which means that he is disciplined and he's religious. We're told he's a member of the Jewish ruling council, which means that he is successful and able. Uh, Later on in verse 10, we're told that he's a teacher, which means that he is educated and respected. And last of all, we see that he's open. He's willing to come to Jesus. Uh, He's not so full of himself that he won't come to Jesus to find out more about life and about God. And so Nicodemus is one impressive man. In modern terms, he'd be the kind of guy who would lead the local scout troop. Uh, he's the kind of guy who you could trust with your wallet and your car keys and your phone and your girlfriend. Uh, he's the kind of guy who would see on his TV screen a, an appeal for a money to give to a charity working with uh, Ebola victims in Africa. And he, and he would give his money straight away, generously, without even thinking of the cost. He would recycle everything. You see, there may be evil in the big world out there. There may even be some evil nearby in our local communities. But surely this impressive Nicodemus is the kind of man who the Lord must love. For he is an impressive man. But what does Jesus say to Nicodemus? Verse 3. Jesus declares, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Or again, verse 5, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of of water and the Spirit. Or in case you've missed it, verse 7, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Do you see it? Nicodemus says, Jesus, you're not even close In fact, you're so far from being right that, well, you need to be born again. Now, being born again has received lots of bad press recently. There's lots of sort of bad feeling about it. It's a kind of phrase you might associate with a kind of particular brand of maybe American Christianity that you might see on TV. Uh, We kind of cringe away from the saying being born again. But, But there's nothing weird or strange about the idea of being born again. It's a message that lies right at the heart of Christianity. To be born again means to have our slates wiped clean. 
to be given a new start, to be, to be remade as a new person. I mentioned my, my time at school just a few minutes ago. Um, I mentioned that I, I um, like rugby. And um, in my early days at school, I decided that I wanted to play rugby for Scotland. I was growing up in Scotland. And, um, and so I took on my training very seriously. I, I, I trained hard. I, I worked hard. I listened to what the coach was saying. I took on board the advice. I learned from my fellow teammates. And um, I worked very hard for four years. And for four years, I, I made lots of progress. I moved from the very lowest team in the school to the second lowest team in the school. And there were many, many, many teams above me. You see, no matter how hard I tried, no, no matter how much coaching I had, how much education I took on board about rugby, I could go in and read the books and watch people play. The reality was I was far too slow, I, I lacked all the skill, and I was about a foot too short to ever make it, even to the first team, let alone playing for Scotland. You see, I didn't have a chance. What I needed was to be remade to come back as a different guy, to be, if you like, born again. Such was the gulf between what, where I was and where I needed to be. And Jesus says to this impressive Nicodemus, this man who we would think God must surely love, he says, if you want to enter God's kingdom, if you want to be friends with God, it is not a matter of more ed- education or of better teaching or of try- trying harder. No, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus is stunned. Verse 4, verse 9, he just can't understand it. How can this be, he says? Well, it can be because the problem for Nicodemus is not on the outside. It is on the inside. He doesn't need to be reborn physically. There's nothing wrong with his appearance. He needs a spiritual rebirth. His problem and our problem is a spiritual problem. It is a heart problem. The Bible calls it sin. Now, sin is not being naughty and having a donut when you're on a diet. Uh, Sin is not just confined to, to the really bad people like Jimmy Savile, who has committed terrible things. Now, in the Bible, sin is simply an attitude towards God, which says to God, God, I don't want you to be in my life. I don't want to worry about you. I don't want to think about you. I don't want to conform to your ways or your will. I want you gone from my life, and I want to live in your world, my way, doing it how I want That is what the Bible calls sin. And when we sin, well then spiritual death enters our hearts. This impressive man, Nicodemus, you had a wonderful CV on the outside, had a heart problem on the inside. Last week, a a student named Zilla Vandenborn became famous because of a holiday she went on. I don't know if any of you saw this on social media, but um, she went on a holiday to Southeast Asia. And um, she kept her friends and family in the loop by posting various pictures of her travels on Facebook. And, and um, she would Skype home to her parents. And in the background of the, of the Skype uh, screenshot would be a picture of a, of a Thai umbrella on a nice beach or something. 
Uh, there are pictures of her swimming in exotic seas in and around Southeast Asia. It was a lovely holiday, except she didn't actually go on holiday. In fact, she fabricated the whole story sitting on her sofa in her front sitting room. You see, she wanted to see whether she could trick people into believing whatever she said about herself by managing photographs and using uh, programs on the computer. And it worked. Her family thought she'd gone on a holiday. Her friends thought she was away on holiday. Everyone thought she'd gone on a holiday, but she hadn't. And the point she makes, which is a very profound point, is that we can project an image of ourselves to other people And we can show them almost anything we want, and they'll probably believe us. You see, we can control, to some extent, our externals. We can control the image we let other people see. But the question is, what is going on in our hearts? I recently um, returned to Facebook after a six-year break, and um, it was, it's fun to be back catching up with people and looking at people's lives. But I've been staggered at what doesn't appear on Facebook. Have you noticed this? Do you know what doesn't appear on Facebook? Oh, uh, my friends seem to have amazing lives. They are always doing all kinds of amazing stuff. They, they read profound blogs. They, they go on amazing trips. They tackle amazing challenges. They change the world. And they tell me all about it. But what I don't see on Facebook is what's going on inside. They don't tell me about their jealousy, their envy, their fear of the future. They don't tell me about their depression and their status anxiety. I just don't see it. And do you know why? I think it's because, and myself included, I just couldn't bear it if people really knew me. If they really saw into my heart and saw what it was like beneath my very carefully managed exterior. But do you notice what happens when this impressive man, Nicodemus, comes before Jesus? You see, we can fool other people. We can manage our image in a crowd. But when Jesus sees this impressive man, Nicodemus, he cuts through the CV. He sees beyond the religion and the discipline and the education and the good standing within the community and even his humble demeanor. Jesus sees through it and he says this. He says, you must be born again. In other words, beneath the surface, Nicodemus, there is death at work in your heart. You need to be born again. And he would say the same to me tonight and he would say the same to each of us. That he sees through the Facebook persona. He sees through what we let other freshers see of us. He sees our hearts. He sees our sin. And the shocking thing is about John 3 verse 16 is that John says that God loves the world. He loves not just the nations out there or the communities around us, He loves people like me and like you. And so the question must be then, how can God love the world? If this is what the world is like, if this is 
the kind of world we live in. How can God possibly love the world with its brokenness and its evil? Well, secondly, and, and much more quickly, the second thing we need to understand is this. The way that God loves the world. Back, if you will, to our key verse. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Do you see the, the way that God loves the world? He doesn't love the world by brushing all the evil and the sin under the carpet and says, you know, there, there now, it doesn't matter. That is not what God does. In fact, if he did, it would be shocking. When the news broke about the girls in Rotherham, when we were grappling with the fact that 1,300 girls had been abused and raped in and around our community, one of the shocking things was that people seemed to know that this was happening, that there were people who had the potential to step in, and they knew what was going on, and they covered it up. They ignored it. They downplayed it. You see, when, when evil is ignored and downplayed, we rise up and say, no, that cannot happen. That shouldn't happen. Well, the same is true with God. If he were to ignore the evil in the world, it would be a wicked thing for God. And he won't. He cannot. So how does God love this unlovable world? Well, he sends a rescue mission. Verse 16, he gave his only son. And let's be crystal clear tonight that when John says that uh, the son was given into the world, what he means there is that the son was sent on a specific mission with one goal, which was to die a bloody, horrific death on a Roman cross. That is what it means when God sent his son into the world. Uh, This week, the NHS have been asking for volunteers from within their ranks. They've asked volunteers who are skilled medically if they would consider going to Africa to help victims of the Ebola virus. Now, they've been very clear about what you would expect to find if you did volunteer. It's going to be hot in Africa. You're going to have to wear lots of protective clothing. So you're going to be very hot inside the clothing. It's going to be smelly. You're going to be dealing with people who are very sick, dying, and who have died. And yet the NHS have been asking for volunteers. And I'm not sure if I would go, if I would be brave enough, but some have. The last I heard, 160 people had volunteered to go and to work in that context. But do you see how much more amazing it is that Jesus will go on a rescue mission You see, he didn't go to help innocent victims. No, he went to help guilty rebels. He didn't go to help sick people get better. No, he went to offer life to dead people. The problem he came to fix was not a physical problem, but a spiritual problem. His mission wasn't just risky and dangerous. No, it involved his certain death. But the greatest difference of all between that appeal for help 
by the NHS and this rescue mission that John writes about, the greatest difference is this. There is no known cure to the Ebola virus, at least as far as I know, not yet. But the rescue mission that Jesus went on provides a guaranteed, a a lasting restoration. You see, God gave his son to die the death we deserve for our sin, our rebellion. On the cross, God didn't brush our sin under the carpet. No, he laid it on his precious son so that his son would die the death that we deserved. And here's the thing. By dying in our place, Jesus offers us a clean slate. He says, I will take your sin and I will free you from it. He offers up to uh, make us be born again, forgiven people, free from guilt, free to live for God. That is the way that God loves. And just a word uh, for those of us who are Christians here tonight. Uh, this is your story. This is what you've experienced of God's love, that he has stepped into your life and he has uh, wiped you clean of your sin, that he has rescued you. And just one thought for you, if that is you tonight, it means that you don't have to put on a front. You don't have to come to church dressed in your Sunday best in terms of looking like you're all sorted in life, that you've got life in control. Now you can afford to be yourself because there's one who does know you and yet loves you completely. You don't have to come to church to impress people or to somehow win favor. You don't have to to put on a show. It means that as Christians, we can gather and be honest about how life is difficult. If someone says to you, how's your day going and it's been rubbish, you can say, do you know what? My day's been rubbish. Help me. Can I talk to you about it? Because of this love, God's people can be different around each other. We don't have to be the Facebook community. We can be real. Well, I want to finish with a question I began with. We long to be known and to be loved. But what does God think of us? In John 3, we find that God loves the world. But this love brings us to a personal decision that only we can make. Verse 16, one last time. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We have a decision to make that only we can make. On the one hand, we can choose to accept this offer of love we can choose to be, to be known fully and loved unconditionally. We can accept these words that we have a heart problem that needs to be fixed. We can accept that Jesus came to rescue us by dying for us. We can accept that we need to be born again. And we can accept that when we do that, we will not perish but have eternal life. All we have to do is to accept that news, to believe it. Of course, the implication from verse 16 is that if we don't choose to accept this offer, if we reject this love, 
if we reject the offer of forgiveness at the cross, then the implication of verse 16 is that we won't be rescued, that we will perish. You see, ultimately this verse warns us that there'll be two kinds of people. There'll be one kind of person that is sinful, known by God, and yet wonderfully accepted by him. There'll be another kind of person who is sinful, who is known by God, and ultimately is rejected by God. The decision is ours. And as I put this decision before you tonight, can I urge you, if you haven't done so before, to accept this offer of unconditional love. I'm going to finish by praying a prayer. It will appear on the screen behind me here. Um, This is what I'm going to pray. I'm not going to pray it yet, but I'll let you know what I'm going to pray in just a moment. I'm going to pray this. I'm going to pray, Heavenly Father, I haven't had you at the center of my life, but from today, that is what I'd like to happen. I ask you to be my Lord. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Please forgive me, and please send your spirit to make me into a new person. Amen. I'm going to pray that prayer in just a moment. And if you want to accept this offer of life, of love, all you have to do is to echo that prayer in your hearts and to mean it. And God will know. You don't have to pray it out loud, but God will know if you pray it and you mean it as I pray it. So as I finish, let's, well, let me pray. You can follow if you want to. Heavenly Father, I haven't had you at the center of my life. But from today, that is what I'd like to happen. I ask you to be my Lord. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Please forgive me. And please send your spirit to make me into a new person. Amen. If you did pray that prayer for the first time, I would um, love to know about it. Do come and grab me at the end and just say, I prayed the prayer. I'd love to just to get to know you. So do grab me at the end. I'll be at the back after the service.